welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. Joining us today is Tanya Chauvin, Senior Project Manager at Electricians Without Borders. And uh, can you tell us the story of its founding and its mission? Absolutely. Thank you, Zach, for the invitation. We can call ourselves Electricians Without Borders for the, the podcast as a non-francophone. <laughs> it might be a little difficult. But yes, Electricians Sans Frontières, uh, we are a French-based NGO. Uh, we were founded uh, more than 35 years ago uh, now in 86 by basically professionals from the energy sector in France that wanted to devote their free time to provide their skills and expertise to partners that needed it in countries where electricity access was still extremely low. So that's how it started and it and continues now, but it became a lot bigger and uh, it professionalized itself. So now we have still a huge number of volunteer experts. We have about 1,200 in France that are a lot of professionals, either very technical, but not only, but all connected to the energy sector in France and its biggest companies. I can talk in, about that in more detail afterwards if you want. And now we implement about 100 projects every year in about, in total, 40 countries. We focus on, on areas where the grid hasn't reached yet, or it's not feasible, or it's not the most logical solution. So to provide solution decentralized a solution that relied mostly on solar energy, especially in the areas where we intervene that now are mostly sub-Saharan Africa, uh, Madagascar, Central Africa, where uh, it also makes sense. That's, that's, uh, and, that's huge. And there's association, I mean, that comes to mind for me is Doctors Without Borders, because it's the same... So I was curious if there's a connection or, and also like you said, 86 was the beginning. I'm not sure is, I, I assume Doctors Without Borders is older, but I'm not sure if that's the case, but is there a connection for a little, yeah. no, we're not, uh, we're not connected. We work with them on some uh, expertise project because we also provide our, our expertise to other NGOs when they need it for their energy, uh, audits or needs on their projects so we 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 know them but no there i think there are about a hundred uh ngos in france that are called something without borders okay Dentist <laughs> without borders right. love without borders that's i think okay. it's caught on as like this catchy name and i think it started, with, you know, it started with the doctors right why I not? Think, I, I mean, I don't know, but uh, with the doctors, yes. yeah, but I, but it is, um, it's not like a common French phrase. I mean, it's not like you use it in everyday conversation to say like you're 
Uh, no, no but it, became, it just became now, a, a popular exactly you have uh, <laughs> i know you have lawyers without borders so oh the my. idea is just that we intervene uh, <laughs> our perimeter of intervention of forces outside of france our our status well, uh, as an ngo is focused well, I... on, on the rest of the world and we are pretty much without borders I think we'll start bloggers without borders. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll figure out some podcasters without borders. No, those probably already exist. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating what just, I mean, the scale of it. I don't know. Yeah, before we go into other questions, maybe I mean, you started talking about the countries where you're involved and you said about 100 active projects at a time. And is there, yeah, I mean, you mentioned several African countries. Are there do you get into South America, Asia, or is it mostly Africa? Is it yeah? It's all over. We did in the past. I Alabama. Actually, no. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I think our our scope of intervention has changed throughout the years with the progress of electrification in in parts of the world. And so when the organization started, a lot of projects. Uh, took place in Asia, in Vietnam, in Cambodia, in the Philippines, in South America as well. But the rates grew so much. It doesn't mean that the coverage is perfect, that everybody has access to, you know, affordable, permanent electricity. But basically, the entire country, or more than 80%, at least, is covered by the grid or solutions that can provide access to electricity. And so we focus, as we focus on like the most vulnerable population, progressively, we have seen our, our areas of intervention uh, reduced, which is, you know, good news for yeah. the state of, of progress in, in electricity access, even though as the SDG7 uh, last report showed, we're still going to be lacking in in Africa. Yeah, yeah, and I guess when it gets to like something like eighty percent in a country, you sort you sort of sort of assume that the country will will find its way forward from there. Like we'll will will be able to handle the the needs to keep going, and that it's not so um, urgent for you to jump in. I imagine. Absolutely. But, you know, recently we have seen a number of cases that kind of highlight, even in countries that had access to electricity since like a long time, that have uh, underwent crisis. And so we also intervene after emergencies. We have a partnership with uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the French Ministry of Foreign Affairs, so that we can assist their operations post-emergencies. And so recently, we've been very involved in the response in the Ukraine to cover the energy need during the winter, especially, and the hospital electrical capacity, and also in Lebanon, which is not undergoing a war currently, thank God, but still had suffered from a, a, a blast in the harbor in August of 2020. And since then uh, has suffered a great governance and, and you know, financial crisis. And so we have also had solicitation to intervene there in countries where technically the grid is still there. But in Lebanon, for example, the national company provides two hours of electricity per day currently. That's not much. <laughs> so a lot of people there are, uh, you know, growing 
increasingly interested in decentralized solar autonomous solutions, batteries, et cetera, to, to get access and not rely on, you know, polluting generators, which is the alternative. Yeah. Hello, listeners. I hope you're enjoying today's episode of Clean Tech Talk. My name is Scott, and I'm Zach's business partner here at Clean Technica. We know we're having a positive impact and helping the world move past fossil fuels, but I think we all know we need to move faster. We at Clean Technica want to accelerate the clean tech revolution, and we'd love your help. Could you chip in $5 or $10 a month? If that's within your budget, please check out cleantechnica.com support. That's cleantechnica.com support, where you can sign up via PayPal or Patreon and make a monthly contribution. Thanks so much. So as I mentioned before the call talking to you, you know, I worked with uh, the Zayed Sustainability Prize, formerly known as the Zayed Future Energy Prize for, for several years. And just, you know, doing that, you just see all of the organizations and companies that are trying to help bring uh, clean electricity, electricity and clean electricity to different parts of the world. And the, the challenge is often just the reaching rural and remote areas is very challenging in itself, reaching it with clean energy solutions that are going to be reliable and sustainable and financially beneficial is also hard. So, you know, there are many different approaches out there trying to help one segment of the world or another, but what innovative approaches or technologies is Electricians Without Borders using to, to overcome those barriers, those challenges to reaching rural and remote areas? I think what you said is rural areas are tricky because they're more sparsely populated often. So you you lack this kind of infrastructure. Like you can have, you know, in in, in cities you can the the cost can be levelized because you have a high number of people that are reached, which you cannot often get in rural areas where you have small communities that are dispersed. And if you look at energy access before decentralized solution, extending the grid for a country that does not have a lot of financial resources was, you know, completely not feasible. So you go from this point, and I think what we technically now, I think we're we have the resources. I mean, the world has the resources. The cost of PV is in is is profitable i mean it, it, it's it's more it's it's on point and it's much easier so, today than it was 10 years ago i mean 10 years exactly. ago you were already doing it but yes today it's we so saw much more that the, the cost of pv is extremely interesting so the cost of of electricity produced through solar is is economically extremely interesting so that's i mean we have the technology we also have a lot of monitoring devices we have a I think we have it. What we and we, of course, try to stay on at the level of uh, of technology. For example, lithium batteries instead of lead batteries. I mean, there's a lot of progress even in the last five years that could also help uh, a lot of those areas. But I think what we focus on, and uh, next to the technical expertise, is the inclusivity of the solution. We are of the opinion that the private sector in itself cannot be the answer to everything and that you have to find a way to compose with the public sector and the public authorities that have the 
political will and the legitimacy with the you know innovation capacity and and financial resources and of the private sector but you also have to take into account the community needs and often those are not going to be the easiest to reach the one with the most mean and never the most profitable and not in in short term perspectives so yeah it's always us, been interesting because we you know the prize has a small business and medium business categories and it has a the nonprofit organization categories and sometimes yes. people there's a discussion what should you be should you be a for-profit or a non-profit and the fact is there are just parts of the world where it's just not going to ever make sense for a for-profit business to try to go and scale and and, <laughs> and make a business out of it so that's where you need the organizations who are just going to go in and say look no one's going to reach these people if we don't. So we're going, we're going to reach these people. We're going to bring them electricity. It's going to be solar. Yeah, batteries is a great point because batteries also cost is coming down as the the experience curve, the learning curve is a little bit, a little bit behind, you can say solar. So mm -hmm. there's more, it's coming down. There's still a lot of opportunity. I mean, for both of them, but, but batteries are expected to keep coming down. So it just makes it easier and easier, I guess, for you to say, oh, here, here's a solution we can take deep into the jungle or wherever and uh, and find people to give it to get it to absolutely and it's not to mean that like companies are not needed because we always try to to develop locally private sector activities because those are the ones that are going to have the the energy loads even on a technical point of view that are going to make the installation sustainable in the long term because you yeah. have to take into account the the costs the long-term cost of solar, you know, people often say that the, the sun is free, but actually uh, we know in, in the sector that an installation has a cost, even if it has gone down and it is economically uh, interesting. And in a few years, you're going to have to replace some parts, even with longer lasting batteries when you're in uh, in the heat, in, uh, in extreme weather, uh, extreme temperatures, your batteries are going to last, what, eight years? And so in eight years, you're going to have to have the financial means to replace those batteries for the installation to function. Yeah. So for that, we completely think that you need income generating activities, you need little shops, you need craftsmanship, you need agricultural production that is connected. I mean, but it has to be thought with the community. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot. A lot of questions are popping up, but I'm gonna maybe come back to to some of them. But I'm just curious to ask you. Well, yeah, before we move on, so are there any particular countries or environments that you would highlight as like you found some particular solution in, or you found extremely challenging, even more than others, and and why? I mean, is any specific examples to highlight from from uh, all of that work? Well, I think if you look at the the project that the Zayed Sustainability Prize uh, rewarded, it was a project in the refugee camps of Cox's Bazar in Bangladesh, uh, which is a country that we don't usually intervene in, in which we intervene after the emergency that caused, you know, the arrival of, of all the Rohingya refugees from Myanmar and the conditions in the in the camps and the extreme the difficulties that we were 
getting from all the local camp NGOs of issues that were due to security because of a lack of access to lighting at night, issues of security for women, for children, access to latrines. I mean, it's very basic things, but at the same time, you have to think of this emergency intervention to bring back light immediately. But you now know that, especially when it's caused by like a political catastrophe or consequence, it might be long lasting. And so you cannot think that, okay, we're going to bring back electricity and like post-emergency for like a week or a month. It You know that it might, the infrastructure might have to be there for 10 years. And so how that was the issue. And I think that that's where the, the, we, you know, we were completely in line with what the Zayed uh, sustainability price advocates for, which is this idea of innovation, but also of, of thinking of the long-term impacts on the, on the populations. And so I think that was a, a good example of having to think of what you can do in immediate circumstances with electricity, with lighting, and to think of the long-term impacts, both positive and to anticipate the negatives. Yeah, that's a great, so I'm glad I asked because that's a superb, interesting example. Yeah, so speaking of the Zayed Sustainability Prize, so you won in 2020 in the energy category. Has the recognition and support that you received from winning that prize helped you in any way to expand operations or create a broader impact in the world? Or how how has that helped or not helped? Absolutely. For us, it was a... You know, we're a French NGO, so we're kind of known in France, but internationally, the level of, of visibility, of recognition that we achieved with the recognition awarded by the, the prize is immense. I mean, there's no way to compare it to our little francophone French uh, level beforehand. And I, and I have to say, so I brought up Doctors Without Borders. I had only ever heard of, I believe, electricians without borders, aside from doctors. So that was, and that was through the the Zayed uh, Sustainability Prize. So I was not aware that there's like a hundred other sans uh, sans in borders France. in <laughs> France. So it it seems like this is one example of you know one person at least being brought you know my my awareness being raised from that but it's oh, funny absolutely. and especially because like the ngos the french ngos that are usually known as doctors without borders internationally have like budgets of like 50 million per year like 100 million euros per year and we're i mean we're we're bigger and we're we've grown since we got the price but we're this this year we have a budget of six million financial resources wow. six yeah. million euros and it's like our largest in, in a number of years uh-huh. so, so the this, level this of not... recognition that is yeah. international for french ngo compared to our budget that's definitely thanks to the prize and the ceremony, like the ceremony that took place during the abu dhabi sustainability week so all the you know the visibility around that the media around that and the interest of of governments, of big companies. I know that even for a lot of our French partners, like the largest, you know, a national electricity company, they were there 
for other subjects and they were invited to the price yeah. and seeing yeah, us no, there I've, was I've been, yeah i've been there several years and uh, i always call it the oscars of clean tech it feels it's a very it feels it's a great event and uh, and it's an interesting thing you mentioned because i sort of forgot that that it's very much they do a superb job of connecting all of the prize winners who are at very different levels. So you have like the giant corporations and then the small organization and, and then even the high schoolers. And high schoolers, these kind of, absolutely. And it's just the way they integrate that. It. It's just like a perfect example of sustainability in the broadest term, which is how, how I learned it in, as a sociology student, you know, sustainability beyond environmental sustainability, but also social social equity and uh, economic uh, equity and and uh, you know even beyond so it's like they do a great great job connecting it's great to hear an example of that again uh, happening and working so you are senior project manager at uh, electricians without borders so what does that mean what is your role how do you how do you personally work in advancing the mission of the organization I, well so as i was saying in the introduction our main workforce at electrician without borders are those 1,200 expert volunteers, which implement the project, which analyze, you know, the solicitation we receive and that they provide basically also the technical expertise. And we have a small headquarter with, with a team that supports those volunteer experts and our directional, our kind of uh, executive committee, I guess you would say in English. And so we're about a dozen. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the, I'm the in the in the project area. And we, what I do, I've been there for the past five years, and is basically to connect the projects that we have to partners, and to also promote uh, what we do internationally and in events in France and in the world. So last week, for example, uh, two weeks ago now, I was at the UN doing the high level political forum of the United Nations that, you know, basically every year uh, review the level of achievement of the sustainable development goals. And this year was the midpoint to 2030. And we were invited by the French government to provide our a point of view on the achievement of SDG 7, access to energy. So that was, you know, a great level of recognition and an interesting uh, forum. And I think it also goes back to the level of recognition that we could achieve thanks to the price in 2020. Yeah. So, I mean, you've already started talking about it, but then how do, how do all these different partnerships and collaborations then feed into the work, the on the ground projects? And how do you connect them? I mean, this is one example, really good one where you're feeding back, sort of, you're like feeding information back to the UN of like what's needed, what's helpful, I assume is how I understood it. And then how do those collaborations and partnerships go, go both ways then? I think it is a true way street in that we try to defend you know, the cause of the most vulnerable people that we try to, to help in our project. And so to, defi- to defend that point of view in the institution that we get to participate in, 
and especially the point of view of an NGO and what I was saying with the importance of, of the most underserved, of, uh, of you know, the ones that are not profitable. But I think also in the other way is that by uh, getting access to those high level events and we often get with this visibility, a new level of interest uh, in our project. And that might be collaboration on expertise that we didn't have, new opportunities, new ideas of what we could do, where we could do it. And I mean, financial means also, of course, are important because you need, you know, you need yeah, them to that... implement more projects. So I think it's all of those feedback into what we can do. And so it helps us grow. And we've seen that in the past three years, I think we doubled our budget, but we also doubled our level of, of operational activities, you know? Yeah, the financial, the, the financial aspect of it was the obvious one that, you know, came to mind, but then you bring up really interesting other one, you know, the finding, getting it. I mean, I've been to enough of these kind of events and, and meetings that, you just end up running into bumping into the right people. You you have the right, you sit next to the right person at a meal, and you have a new project or company or something come out of it. So it's uh, it makes a lot of sense that you would get, you would find the technical partnerships or the new project location ideas from these kind of collaborations. And yeah, this sounds great. Yeah, I think we uh, had a, this opportunity during the last COP. Also, we were in Sharm El Sheikh uh, with our our executive director. Uh, in Sharm el-Sheikh <laughs> and through the Zayed Sustainability Prize team that still, you know, uh, is in contact with us, we got the opportunity to get to a projection of a movie called The Last Last Year that was on the on the consequences of climate change on, on the disappearance of the glaciers. And it was a great a connection to make and to we got the opportunity to talk about clean energy as one of the answers to development that can be you know sustainable for for the climate and try not to worsen the climate crisis so maybe it's, maybe it's a little nosy but i'm curious now then how much are you in contact with the zayed sustainability prize team throughout the year like is it monthly or Weekly, how how often are you do you communicate with them? I think it really depends on also catching up for events. So we know when we're gonna be in a, an event such as COP, we know that we're you know gonna be mm -hmm. together at some point, or that it would be interesting to meet again each year around the time of the prize. Also, uh, because they also they have such a huge network of, I mean, it just it's. I mean, it's the biggest network I'm aware of, of people working on this, bringing clean, I mean, on, on many topics, but especially on this topic of bringing clean electricity to people without electricity or without reliable electricity. It seems like they've got the biggest network of connections between finalists and and winners alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to see their um, applications. I mean, there's hundreds of applications mm -hmm. each year. So it's like, even beyond the finalists and the winners, there's so much of a network there. So yeah, they, I, I assume they're constant, they, they should have a team that's constantly able to, to connect previous participants, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's a, 
it's good to know that we're partners, you know, in the long term and and that we get to to stay and in touch. And it's definitely fine to have been a finalist, but it's it's good to be a winner, right? Then you <laughs> you feel like the door we is were, extra open. We were a finalist you. in uh before we won, actually. My boss had already been oh. to the event, but we yeah, had no, not. Now, I've seen it many times where finalists, uh, companies or organizations might be going year after year before winning. But then when you're going through the process, oh, who should advance? Who should win? It's like, oh, my gosh, how do you choose? Like, they all deserve it, you know? And it's really like, it's often just a flip of a coin to some extent, or like one small kind of extra thing that gets, you know, pushed but there's really, uh, I mean, the, the the shame is that you can't award everybody every year who's doing of all course. of this. But of course, but I know that um, beyond 2020, I think the initiative that they that took place the following year, I know that we were uh, approached and we managed to to develop another project in Bangladesh, uh, thanks to the support of Beyond 2020. But I know that other finalists that were not winners got the opportunity to have projects developed thanks to the initiative, even though yeah, they did not win the prize. So yeah, let's jump to that. <laughs> we can jump to that to uh, conclude here. So can you share specific stories or examples of how working with Beyond 2020 and the, the Beyond 2020 initiative has facilitated electricians without borders to implement more sustainable energy solutions or make positive differences in lives of people in underserved regions? Can you sort of just yeah, say more specifically in example, for example, what's that, what that has done? Well, I can take, you know, it's a, it's a point in time where we just finished two of the projects that got support uh, by the Zaya Sustainability Prize. And so we've seen the impact on communities. So we've just opened uh, four of our platforms in Benin, in Benin that the price uh, supported and which were basically multi-services energy platform that provide access to energy for income generating activities, but also for health services. So we got our first uh, delivery in the village that could be done with lighting at night through uh, the, the launching of the platform. So I think that was the most impact that we could hope for. And you said other finalists who didn't weren't winners, but finalists also getting a boost from this. Yes, absolutely. I think it's another French NGO that got supported in Beyond 2020. I think they provide a solution that something with water access, uh, notably, and and uh, water kiosk. And and I know they've been doing great works with the support of of Beyond 2020 and of the price. Uh, and they've been also, we've seen them at the events, we've seen them at COP again. So it was also a great way to stay in touch and, and to have this level of, of networking, of being put in contact, even though uh, you're only a finalist. So to have this level of attention is really nice, I think, yeah. for those small organizations that do not have, you know, budgets for visibility, for PR that a huge company uh, in the private sector would have. Yeah, and I mean, I'll just repeat, I think all the finalists deserve to be winners and there's hundreds of applicants that deserve to be finalists. So it's really a, 
it's it's a there's a lot of good work happening out there well thank you for sharing your story what you're doing i don't know if there's anything that we missed that you would like to highlight or anything coming up that is uh that you're trying to raise awareness for perhaps i'm not sure no well we would love to you know find ways to continue working with the price in the future uh, on our different projects especially so in africa but as well in lebanon and in ukraine and all the areas in the world where we are intervening right now so and we are always open to uh, new expertise new volunteers and so so do not hesitate to reach out to us yeah we'll have to get updates from you uh yeah as time goes on to keep you know updated on your your progress how many people you've reached or you've reached them with how many solar kits or whatever whatever uh, there is to highlight so thank you for talking with us today on clean tech talk and thank yeah so congratulations much. on the work you're doing and the recognition you're getting for it well thanks thanks to you and and, and to the price for uh, for this very interesting conversation and we'll say have, a su- have a sunny day yeah <laughs> <laughs> cheers thanks. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,